You're listening to the podcast of Christ Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope these sermons help you to know God through Christ by deepening your belief in the gospel. Today's reading comes from John uh, 15, verses 1 through 12. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burnt. If you abide in me, and I, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we love you, and just as we sang, we need you. We need you every hour of our existence. We need you every time that we meet and gather. We need you every time we open your word. We need you not only to help us, not only to show us what's true and right and good, but we need you to continue holding all things together. Without you, we are nothing. We have nothing. So I pray this evening we would more fully and deeply recognize our need for you. And I pray that the fruit of that would be that we would desire you more and that the fruit of that would be joy and glorifying you. We love you. We praise you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Welcome and good afternoon. It feels like we just did this, and we did about, I don't know, 48 hours ago as we gathered for Christmas Eve. That was such a wonderful time. Uh, thank you for joining us then, and thank you for joining us today. I pray that your Christmas yesterday um, was good. I pray that it was full of joy. I pray um, that you pondered the, the truth of God coming into this world and that that truth fueled your enjoyment of gifts and family and food and drink. Um, I pray that if you are one of those that Clint has mentioned or that Matt has mentioned or that now I am mentioning that the holidays bring a bit of sorrow and a bit of sadness, I pray that you understand clearly that there is joy for you. There is access to peace in these seasons. And if, if that is you and if this season was really difficult, I would love to get coffee with you. I would love to talk with you and pray with you and just ponder the goodness of God as we seek to understand his love and his kindness even in the midst of suffering. So please come and do that. My name is Kyle. If I haven't said that, I'm one of the three pastors here at Christ Church, um, and I would love to get to know you. And if you're just filled with God's joy, 
and excited, um, I would love to get to know you as well and get coffee. And so let's hang out. And so Nathan has finished our Advent. We have been for four weeks, uh, I guess leading up until um, Christmas Eve, we have been considering and pondering the coming of Christ, the reality of the God-man um, coming, on them now being here, and the reality that he is going to come back. And when Nathan gets back, he is going to finish up our series in Proverbs, and then we are going to start First John, which I am so excited about. But until then, I got what's called called um, the preach whatever's on your heart encouragement. Um, preach whatever you want. And Nathan wasn't being unkind, uh, but if you've preached often and if you do this, you, that's a, it seems like that might be like freeing, but that's hard. Like it's so much easier if he's just like preach Proverbs 2 and I know that and that's where I'm at and I go and I preach that. Um, but he didn't do that. He's mean and he's gone and he doesn't care. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, he told me to preach what I I want. And this is the time of year that we have really focused on what we want. We focus on what we want quite a bit. We talk about what we want for Christmas. We think about what we want for the new year. And the kids in this room are already thinking about what they want for Christmas next year. Some of you are examining your jobs at the moment. You're examining your living situations, your homes, your apartments. Some of you are rethinking your studies, what you're studying right now in school, or some of you younger kids are rethinking last semester, thinking I probably need to do better to get an A. Um, we are all thinking, considering right now what we want. Examining your life is not a bad thing, so don't worry. I'm not here to make you feel bad about that. That's a good thing. I think it's wise to think about what's coming in the next year. Um, but I chose John 15, 1 through 11 to preach on today, partly because it addresses what we want as followers of Jesus. Like, as you heard it read, I mean, we'll just go backwards with it. We want the joy of verse 11. We want the glorification of God in verse 8. We want the answered prayers in verse 7. And we want the fruitful life of verse five. We want to abide in Jesus. I know that's true of you if you're here and you're in Christ. These are all good desires, but pondering what we want without asking what we need can be a really dangerous endeavor. About three weeks ago, I stopped asking myself what I wanted to preach this week, and I just started praying and asking God, God, what do I need? Like, what do I need to hear from your word? What, what, if, if I need to hear from your word, what does your people need to hear? The people I love, what, what do we need Need and want are similar, but they're not the same, right? And it's tricky. We don't always want what we need, and in my case, rarely, rarely, rarely do I need what I want. We're so disordered because of sin, like Clint was talking about. Up looks down, wrong looks right, wants look to be needs, and this has been the case ever since the fall. This is, I mean, this is the human folly, um, the difference between discerning and understanding what we want against what we need. We don't know what we need, and this confusion bleeds into what we want, and which always determines what we get. That's kind of a flow. It's an outflow that always happens. John 15 is one of my favorite, favorite verses in the Bible. If you were a part of my ministry before I came to Christ Church, you have heard me say this numerous times. Um, if you're a part of my family, that's my son's favorite passage now, which I really love that he's starting to um, enjoy the things of God's word. John 15 is one of my, I am the vine, you are the branches, right? Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is who bears much fruit for Apart from me, you can do nothing. That makes me want to abide. When I read that verse, when I open John, even the book, I just, I go to John 15, 5, because it's so encouraging. I want to bear fruit. I want my life to count for something. But when I try to make that happen in my own strength, in my own wisdom, with my own efforts, my fruit always turns out to be artificial. It's so 
artificial. What I thought was going to please God and glorify God only makes me feel distant from him in the end. It's such a frustrating reality. I know what I want, but the question I should ask is what do I need? What do I need to abide? What do I need to bear much fruit and have my life count for something? That is why Jesus gave us verses one through three before he gave us verse four and five that we, um, and that's where we're gonna start. Tonight we'll study our text kind of using three different headings, what we need, what we want, and what we get. These things work together um, when we're ordered and they work against each other when we are disordered and how we think. And we really must go in this order. One, because I believe that's how this text goes and we wanna be faithful to the text. But two, um, mixing this up um, really messes up the end result. A poorly ordered mind leads to poor outcomes in most things. I don't know if you guys have scrolled Instagram recently Um, I haven't, uh, so I don't know. This is just hearsay. Um, But I came across this dude that was just holding like a big wad of $100 bills. And he was like, believe this is yours. Put this in your mind. Think about it. Manifest this. I manifest that whoever sees this thing, so I've heard, um, whoever sees this will become rich. We know that our mind matters. The world is is onto it as well. The power of the mind, you've heard of the power of positive thinking, the power of thinking correctly. There's common grace in that because it matters what is in our mind. We can't underestimate it. Life is already complicated and confusing. Amen? Amen. That might be the only one I get tonight. And confusion in terms of pleasing God and the Christian fruitfulness and the results, like that can just be devastating to faith. It can be devastating as we look back on the year past, and it can be definitely devastating as we look on to the year of, uh, ahead of us. My hope in this sermon is not to give us a list of New Year's resolutions that will fade in February and we will forget in May. My hope is to give us clarity in the gospel that will reorient our minds on what we need which will conform our desires and change what we want, which will fundamentally transform what we are getting as a result of abiding in the vine. So let's do that now. Let's look at what we need. John 5, 1 through 3 says this, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And so though Jesus doesn't come out right out and say it, he tells us what we need before he commands us to abide in this passage, right? He says it right there. Our obvious need in this verse is to be declared clean. That's what the disciples got. They, they were told by Jesus, you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And that sounds nice, but how does that happen? Jesus starts this teaching not with the cleansing of the word or with the call to abide, but by saying, I am. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. In modern times, it seems like a strange statement, honestly. Like, we, we, are, we love imagery, so we're thankful for Jesus' parables and for Jesus just to kind of say, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. We just start thinking of gardening. Right? But Jesus is saying something extremely profound in that statement. I think we all know that, but it's good to be reminded of it. The I am statements. This is a connection of statements he's been making in John. He has said things like, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door for the sheep. I am the resurrection. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And now I am the true vine. These are all intentional teachings that point to 
point to the eternality of Jesus, the divinity of Jesus, the nature of Jesus, and so on. Christ is being intentional in his language, showing us how he is the one the entire Old Testament is about. All of these authors, I mean, that is worth your next year. Just think about, I am the bread of life. If you think, I don't know what to think about, I don't know what to study, I don't know what to ponder, there's enough truth in the statement, I am the bread of life, to take up your whole year of study. He can satisfy you far better than the manna in the desert satisfied Israel. Jesus is the bread of life. And in our passage tonight, he is the vine, and he is trying to get us to understand something that Israel knew, right? They, they, whenever they heard this vine language, we heard it read in our... Um, was that prof- no, that wasn't profession. That was the call to worship this evening out of Psalm 80. It said this, you brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and shoots to the river. Here, the psalmist is showing us that Israel is also a vine. It was considered a vine often in the Old Testament, and God both plucked that vine out of Israel in the Exodus and planted it in the promised land. He blessed this vine and intended to use it for good things. He intended it to cover, I mean, just think of that imagery, all the way to the river, all the way to the sea. We kind of see the garden in that. We can hear the garden in that, God's intention to make the world green again. But something changes. I don't know if you guys heard it. When, when, when Clint was reading it, it says, then why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it and all that moves in the field feeds on it. Something's happened. So the relationship between the vine and the vine dresser, the vine dresser has removed his protection and care and has allowed the fruit that was supposed to be his to be wasted. The walls are now broken and the vine is being trampled and destroyed. Why is this happening? It's happening because Israel is not the true vine, right? Let's look at Isaiah. Isaiah says it for us. He says, what more was there? This is God speaking. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice but behold, bloodshed for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Israel was not the true vine. They were planted in the promised land, given everything they needed, fertile soil, protection all around. They were given God's protection. He cared for them. He expected justice and righteousness from this vine, but he got bloodshed and turmoil instead. The sweet grapes he desired had become bitter and the vineyard wall was ruined. All was wasted except for one shoot, except for one shoot that would come out of the cut down stump of Jesse, the person, Jesus Christ. I mean, that's what this whole month has been about, right? And I know it's hard with commercialism and with busyness. It's hard to consider the incarnation of Christ for a whole month. But that's, I mean, that's what we have been singing about. That's what we have been gathering is this reality, this true vine springing forth from what was seemingly dead. 
But the question is, what do we need, right? That's what we're asking ourselves in this first point. What do we need? What is it that Jesus is intending to do in this teaching before he moves on to the command to abide? And do you remember the story when Moses and the burning bush is going on? And Moses just does not want to go. He doesn't want to go tell them. And he's like, who, who am I? What, which God are you? Like, who should I say sent me? What is God's response? I am. Tell him I am sent you. Right, so there's beautiful things happening right here, connecting with Jesus. Jesus has said, I am, a few times in the scriptures, and he has been almost stoned because of it. But what he is saying is, I exist. Go tell Israel that there is a real God. All the gods that they are worshiping are false idols. I am, and that's what we need to know. Before he gets to abide in me, he says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. We need to know that Jesus is the expected one. He is the true vine that God intended from the beginning, and he will not be removed. He will not be cut away. And any fruit that glorifies God and brings him honor and praise, any fruit that brings you joy, it starts with him. He is the epicenter. He is the I am. He's not only the expected Messiah, but he is the origin of every God-glorifying act that will last into eternity. Connection to him is the only source of life, not just for Israel, but for humanity, for everybody. Apart from him, you can do nothing. We did a lot of stuff today. Most of it was nothing. Why? Because anything we do apart from Jesus ends with our death. A lot of the stuff we do in with us going to bed or ends with us turning our phone off, right? But anything we do with Jesus moves into eternity. So what do we need? We need Jesus to be the true find. We are completely dependent on him. If he is not who he says he is, then there is no hope for you and I. There is no number of good deeds and worship. There is no amount of abiding that can turn our bitter grapes into sweet fruit that glorifies God. Israel really wanted to stay in the promised land. They were obeying the law. They were doing everything they could, but nothing they conjured up, nothing they conjured up could make them the genuine vine. The the grapes were already bitter and they were in God's mouth and he had to spit them out. We're like Israel. We've tried our own way and we've failed. Jesus wants us to see that we need him. Clarity in this truth is not base level Christianity. Clarity in this truth is everything Jesus is everything. He is true in the face of everything that is false. He is the deepest need of every human heart. He is the true vine, and there is no salvation without the understanding of that fundamental truth. But it wasn't only that truth about himself that Jesus was concerned about. He wanted his disciples to know that he is the true vine and that his father is the vine dresser. And every branch that is attached to Jesus that does not bear fruit, he cuts it away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more. God is the Father, and he is in charge of the branches. He knows those who have genuine faith, and he knows those who do not. Remember above in Isaiah, when he wanted Israel to be just and righteous, but they failed miserably at both? He is now exercising his perfect justice and his perfect righteousness, and he does so with perfect precision There's no counterfeit faith. There's no counterfeit branch. God knows them all. He sees us all, and he acts intentionally towards them all. And this leads us to the last thing we'll talk about needing before moving on. Let's talk about gardening for a second. Anybody get a bonsai tree for Christmas? Yeah, good luck. 
I got, my mom got, she, my mom, I don't know if she's mad at me, but she got me like, I, I obsess over bonsai trees. I want one to live. Um, and they don't. Uh, and she got me this like kit where you plant your own. Give me a break. Like that is not going to go well. I love gardening. Uh, I've owned my home for about 11 years. We planted a bunch of plants whenever we first owned it. Um, and I've learned recently the importance of pruning, honestly. Like it really does change a tree. It changes uh, a fruit tree. It adds more fruit to it. Um, but there's such a difference between my pruning and God's pruning, right? That it's showing here. My pruning, man, it just depends on the day. I was putting up Christmas lights and there was this bush in my front yard that poked me and I just cut it down. I was like, I'm done with you. I am angry, I am mad, I am bleeding, you are gone, right? That is how we prune. I prune kind of thinking, yeah, that branch is weird. Um, I don't like it. I, 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 just, I just have lots of ideas in my head, but I have no knowledge of what's truly gonna happen. My cutting is based on how branches look, how they're pointing if I'm grumping, but, but God's cutting is based on what he knows. That's what Jesus is telling us. I'm not confident the branches I prune will produce fruit. I can only hope. I care for my garden with limited knowledge and zero ability to know if I cut away good branches, right? I don't know. If I prune bad branches, I don't know. For me, it's guessing, but not for God. He doesn't guess. He knows everything. We need to trust the vine dresser. Like, I know I'm like really drawing a lot out of these first couple of verses, but Jesus is saying huge statements. I am statements. Father is the vine dresser. We need to throw our hearts and minds on his character, his kindness and love, his patience and goodness. We need to see him for who he is, righteous and just, true and trustworthy, and so much more. Those of us, and I include myself in this, that struggle with faith, that struggle with security in the gospel, likely struggle because we are focusing on ourselves. I know that's true of me. We judge our security based on how good we're doing, how our branch looks, like what kind of fruit do we think is there, what do our lives look like, and so on. God examines the heart with justice and righteousness, with eternity past and eternity future in mind before him. He judges our faith based on his son, how the vine is doing, what his life looks like. What a comfort. The in me statement of verse two, we're gonna move on here in a moment, is a tough statement to swallow, especially for those who struggle with security and their salvation. Let's, it says Jesus is stating that there are people who can connect to him in a way, but still be cut off and burned, right? Which is a clear picture of not being a part of the vine, right? It's a clear picture of judgment, this is a confusing lesson, but it becomes less confusing when we consider the whole book of John, and it definitely becomes less confusing when we consider where John is putting this in his writing. A few chapters above, Judas was sent out of the room by Jesus. Judas was asked to leave. Go do what you're going to do, Judas, and the abiding branches, the 11, remained this is a sermon in the upper room for the branches. Judas was with Jesus to get what he wanted. The 11 were with Jesus because they understood what they needed. Big difference. Peter is the one who stated, where else will we go, Jesus? Like, you have the words of eternal life. And he's about to deny Jesus three times. Right? But here's the difference. Peter understood his need. He understood that he needed Jesus and there was nowhere else to go. There are many flaws in your faith. 
many shortcomings, many abuses of the gospel and of grace, but do you understand your need for Jesus? Have you put your faith in the vine? Do you understand your need for the vine dresser and his, uh, his pruning, refining work? Jesus wants us to know the God we are saying we are trusting. Stating he is the vine and the Father is the vine dresser is an invitation for us to consider and ponder what the Godhead is like. Like that again, that is a New Year's resolution right there. What does it mean that Jesus is the vine and that God is a sovereign vine dresser? Jesus is inviting us to think and to know and to understand who he is and what we need. We all want to be comfortable, right? We think that's what we need. We want our lives to feel easy, but when we realize that what we need is pruning, is the vine dresser who is sovereign, our wants change. They have changed. Notice how both works of God the Father in verse 1 through 3 involve cutting. No matter what, the work of the vine dresser is a cutting work. It's pruning. It's cutting. There's no avoiding it. We either are cut off, gathered, and burned, or pruned that our lives may be filled with fruit resulting in joy. We need the vine, and we need to be pruned. How often do you ask to be pruned? Is that a desire of yours? Like when you see sap pouring out of your body, right? Like when you can see the work of God, are you just like, thank you for being real? Thank you for like walking along the vine and seeing me and noticing me. I didn't want to, to feel that, but God, you are so kind. And that moves into what we want. Let's read it. John 4, abide in me and I in you. This branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burn. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now, only now, do we receive the command to abide. That's where we jump but this is when he gives it. After we are told that Jesus is the true vine, that the Father is in charge of everything sovereignly attached to the vine, only then are we told to abide. It's pretty remarkable to ponder, actually. This cost me like 45 minutes this week, just staring at my window thinking, okay, so Jesus just said that God is in control of everything that's attached to the vine. He cuts it, he prunes it, but now his command is that I abide in the vine. And my, my thought just immediately always goes to stay connected, right? Like do what's necessary to, to, to stay connected to the vine. That's what we think of most often we think of a Bible. We know that's not true. And it's not just here that Jesus kind of a t- teaches against that false statement. In John 10, earlier using a different metaphor about sheep, he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand, including you, brother and sister in Christ. Like I know we want to think that our sins are so big and so strong and God cannot love us. Don't think so highly of yourself and don't think so lowly of the power of the cross That is why you trusted Jesus. If you trusted Jesus for small sins, then your faith is going to be small. But if you truly understand your need, man, then you trust Jesus in the moments when things are the most difficult and you consider yourself to be the chief of sinners. You're in good company with Paul the Apostle. What do you think of when you hear the word abide? 
For me, it's to do good things, right? It's to have good quiet times, to listen to good Christian music, to try to really connect with Jesus. Some people, me, like to them, a kind of going to heaven when you die. I think, honestly, abiding has less to do with where we're going when we die and much more to do with where we're going today. What I mean is that abiding is about our affections. It's about what we love, what we desire, what we want. Home is where the heart is. My home is here. It's funny. Like my lovely wife, my children, my wife's parents, my church body is here. You can go to the Northeast Heights and find my house, but home is where my affection is. What you want indicates where you abide. If you want more stuff, you abide in the world. If you want to feel comfortable, if you want to feel more self-righteous and in control of your salvation, then you abide in the law. If you want joy, God-glorifying joy, you must abide in Jesus. In our first core class, we discussed that abiding has to do uh, with where you desire to be. The 11 disciples in the upper room, they desired to be with Jesus. Judas did not. Abiding is remaining, not doing. And here's the theological encouragement. Can you guys just consider that God has done all the work on your behalf? Like just Think of the Trinity. Think of the brilliance of the Godhead creating and sustaining all things with a word, right? Giving you his image, sending his son to die on your behalf that he may gain the glory that he deserves and that you may be satisfied. Consider the son who lived a perfect sinless life and for the joy set before him endured the cross knowing that this would both honor his father and secure his father's worship and praise. Consider the Holy Spirit he sin. When Jesus said, it's better that I leave and that the Spirit comes, do you trust him? The Spirit lives in you. That's his work, is to convict you and draw you, is to show you what's true and right and good and form you into the image of Jesus. This is God at work, and this is just like two seconds of me ranting. Like, this is your God. This is what he's like, and that is a drop in the bucket man, I hope your affections have changed. Just in hearing that, my desires have changed. And it's so fickle, but it's real. If you don't trust those things, if you don't trust God to do all of this and more, I would encourage you to examine what you're trusting in. Examine the desires of your heart and where they lead you and the fruit that it produces in your life. Examine the wisdom of your plan to save yourself from the brokenness of this world. And I pray that, it, that that exercise leads you to desire Jesus. It changes and transforms where you abide. To see your need for him, which leads to saving faith, which fuels the desire to abide in Christ. And if you answered yes, which I think most of you probably did, you do trust God for all of that and more, then I would encourage you to examine your wants. What do you desire? Your salvation is secure in Christ. So let's focus on our affections. Let's fuel our desire to love God and to love others. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That's crazy. That is a crazy sobering statement in scripture. Like you can pray confidently and Jesus will just do it. Do you think, is he a liar? What is he doing here? This just Christian hyperbole, is this what's, what's going on? If you understand your need, if you meditate on it and fill your mind with it, your desires will change. Jesus is saying that this, I mean, like this has already happened in your life if you're a follower of Jesus. Your Christian experience is this, mostly, for the most part, is the result of renewed desires. You're being here today. 
you sharing the gospel with a coworker, you giving to the needs of the body, and so on. All are evidence of the vine dresser and his vine in your life. Jesus is saying to you, desire me. So when he says abide in me, he's saying desire me and let my desires be in you. And you can ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. Because my desires are your desires. My wants are your wants. My prayers are your prayers. What you want is dictated by what you believe you need. What do you need? You starve long enough and you will pass by mountains of treasures to get to life-sustaining food. You abide in Christ and you will sell this entire world because you understand the value of your soul and the goodness of the God who made it and then died to save it. An ordered understanding of our need produces new desires. New desires change how we view God's work in our life, which leads to joy and contentment, increased faith, and deeper relationship in the vine. This passage ends with what we get, but it's funny because that's, where, that's always where we start. Right? My, my troubling seasons with my walk with Jesus kind of start like this. Like, I don't feel connected to God. What should I do? Should I read more? Should I pray more? Like, what, what, is I, what do I have to do to kind of connect myself to the vine so that I can then get what I need and so that my faith can feel full? That is backwards. You cannot reverse engineer the gospel. It doesn't work like that. It begins with God and it ends with God, always. What we get, John 15, eight through 11, we'll finish up with this. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. God intends your life to be filled with joy. This is not just a Christian platitude. This is not just what we sing on Christmas, joy to the world. This is God's intention for every branch that is in Christ, pure and perfect joy, his joy. As you think and plan for the new year, is joy at the top of your list? Has that even crossed your mind? Didn't cross mine until I started pondering this passage. Is joy producing faith as a result of abiding in the vine that God himself established at the top of your to-do list this new year? I don't ask this to make you feel guilty. I ask this to fill your mind with truth, right? I ask this to help us focus on the vine, to look at what's true and good. Like what you need is God. And when you understand that, what you get is joy. That's incredible. God, if God is who he says he is and he does what he said he does and you believe this, then joy should be on the forefront of your mind. You should expect it. You should walk in it. You should experience it and you should lead others in it. But why does this so often elude us? Why is joy so hard? True joy is the result of trusting God, his plans, his ways, his sovereign rule and reign. Abiding is being convinced of his goodness. And that just doesn't come naturally to us. We don't trust him. Our pursuit of joy will always end in sorrow and destruction. If we pursue what we desire in any given moment, if we use our own wisdom, chasing the desires of our own hearts, we should not be surprised when joy eludes us in the end. We're not sovereign. We don't see the beginning and the end. The wisdom of man is foolishness to God. Our pursuits fail because they are consumed with selfishness, which is the opposite of God. That's the opposite of the gospel. 
The gospel gives everything, and we seek to take. That's why it's so hard. Verse 9 says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. How did the Father love Jesus? What was the result? We equate love with joy or, or with peace and with ease, and the Bible equates love with the cross. Christ was cut off so that we might be grafted in. The pruning work of God has always resulted in our good and in our joy. Do you know this? Yeah. Do you preach it to yourself? Do you fight to fill your mind with statements like this so that when your own sin or when the enemy or just life in general, weariness of life tries to sneak in, you abide all the more? Do you fight for the joy that is yours as a result of biting in the vine? Joy so pure that it's literally fueled by God's love and it results in bringing God the glory that your heart longs to bring him. This is a plug, so get ready. Our next core class, which I'm teaching, so again, grain of salt, it's on clarity in the gospel. And again, like when I was thinking through these classes, I was really asking God, what do we need what do we need as your followers? And I know that the gospel is talked about a ton. We, I mean, we just rehearsed the whole thing. We do that every single week. So why a class on that? And the hope is that it would focus our minds on truths that matter, on things that cause us to abide, that transform us. We can abide in Christ and trust him more fully, resulting in our joy together. That's why we do everything we do here. Like that's why Matt prepares wonderful music for us to sing to every week. That's why Nathan normally preaches every week. That's why Clint prepares a liturgy. It's why we drink this blood and eat this flesh every single week is so that we would understand our need, that we would turn and worship God, and that that would produce joy. I exist as your pastor for the glory of God and for your joy. That's it. Do you have it? If not, I guess I'm failing, I'm trying, I don't know. Have you ever bought groceries you didn't need? I know, weird question, out of nowhere. It's so frustrating, right? And I don't mean like groceries you didn't need, like you get like the foot massager thing. I mean like you buy a bag of carrots and you get home and you realize you already have a bag of carrots. And you know now that there is no way you're going to be eat, able to eat both bags of carrots. And so you're frustrated because they're both gonna turn slimy in about a week. And it's all wasted. It was all for nothing. All the effort and money is wasted because you already had what you needed. What are you getting from your relationship with God? That's a selfish question, but I think you need to ask it. Is it joy? Or is it more like a drawer full of rotten vegetables in your fridge? Hear me out. I know it's weird. You own them, right? It's yours. They're yours, but you don't use them. They don't, they've been paid for, but they waste away unnoticed as we toil to go buy more. This is not how it's supposed to be. Eat your vegetables. Right? Like what a wonderful God who has paid for your salvation, who has purchased your fruit, who has accomplished everything you need to have joy. Do you approach him with that clarity? Do you walk up to the fridge of the gospel knowing that it's filled, that all the work has been done, and now we just open it and we receive? And as we receive it, we just think of the wonderful beauty of the God who stocked that fridge. 
right? Your joy, your peace, your salvation, your restoration, your sanctified life, your clarity, right? Your, your, your help in difficult times, your comforting friend and savior, all purchased. You don't need to go to the store to ask for more. You just need to receive it, to abide, and to let that abide in you and let your desires be changed and transformed and live a life of joy until he comes back or he takes you home. That's what Christ has bought for you. So let's go back to presents. I'll finish with this. I know I already said that. What are the best kind of presents? Talked about it at the very beginning. When I was young, it was toys. When I got a little bit older, it was cash. That was the best kind of present. But we know, we all know that that's not the best kind of present. The best gift is a gift that is given with the full knowledge of who you are. The gift reveals the relationship. Have you guys ever gotten a gift like that? It could be a small kitchen tool. It's funny. It could be a gift card. It could be a car. It could be a toothpick. It really doesn't matter. All of those gifts can have the same effect. The key is the right person is giving the gift and the right person is receiving the gift. It's about intimate knowledge. It's about knowing what they need, what they want, and what will bring them joy. And when you relate to someone like that, your affections for them grow. You want to be with them. You want to please them and serve them. And the result of a relationship like that is joy. It really is. I hope you have a relationship like that with Christ and with somebody in this church. Does that not sound like the best New Year's resolution? To be secure in the joy of God. To be confident in his character. To know him and trust him. To allow your desires to become formed by his. To be connected to him in such a way that genuine joy is the result. It's not a fairy tale. It's available to you. Jesus is the vine. God is the vine dresser. God has rescued you and secured you and controls everything. He cuts and prunes and we are called to abide in his love. Do you recognize your need for him? If so, trust Jesus. Like Clint encouraged us earlier, pursue him in the word. Get to know his character this year. Learn what it means that he is the light of the world. Learn what it means that he is the bread of life, the true vine. That is worth your wasted time. Like Clint said, that is worth your moments. That will never return void. You want joy, dive in to Christ and learn about who he is. Do you want more of him? Then pray with Jesus that God's kingdom will come and his will will be done. Seek to your line, your wants with his. Look for the wisdom of God in the word and in the life around you. When you live and act against his word, repent and be thankful that the work is done. Because gosh, that, that provides as much joy and like abiding energy when you realize that this is why Jesus died and this is why I'm like the 11. This is why I stay. I need him. Man, there's nothing. I mean, there, there are some things I'm sure more powerful, but that is powerful. The nails of guilt and death were placed in Jesus' hands to remove the chains of guilt and death from yours. That's the God you serve. That's the gospel you've trusted. Abide in these things and remain in them. Finally, enjoy. Have joy set before you. Let that be a goal of yours this year. There's no paying God back for what he has done. Find your heart's contentment in him. Allow him to become your delight and watch your basket of artificial fruit turn into fruit that abides. That's how good God is. That's what he does. And we need to know that. Let's pray to that end. Father, we love you. And we know you because you first knew us. We love you because you first love us. All we do is respond to you. 
You have done all the work of creating the world. You've done all the work of creating us. You've done the work of saving us and securing us. You do the work of pruning and you call us to abide in your love. What what God is there like you? How can this be real? God, I pray that Christ Church this coming year will be a church filled with joy with the fruit of abiding, that the desire of our hearts to glorify you would be evident, that our love would be evident, and that the world would see that and think, man, who is this God? What is this gospel? He dies and we gain life? He creates, we ruin, and he recreates? What kind of God is this? God, would you focus us Would you bless us? We know you have blessed us through your son. Would you give us clarity? Would you help us to understand what we need? Would you change what we want? God, and would you give us joy? Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged to deeper life in Christ through the preaching of this sermon. For more information about Christ's church, visit www.christchurchabq.com